Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rand Show at AM 770 KTTH Streaming on the KTTH smartphone app on an hour that is brought to you by American Water Damage Restoration. Are Washington Democrats getting ready to bring back mask mandates? They're sure talking like it. And that is what's trending. What's trending? The coronavirus. That is what it kind of sounds like they're interested in doing. I say this not just because there have been some conversations nationally about whether or not this is around the corner, but I happened to see over the weekend a tweet from the Washington State Department of Health. They were spending their Labor Day tweeting out or posting on X outdated COVID advice. And it would appear that their guidance hasn't really moved at all, despite learning as much as we've learned about COVID. And I look at this and I say, hey, number one, this is another example of how public health officials have chosen to kind of ignore science and data so that they can adapt politically motivated fear mongering. And once I started to think about it in those terms, I said, well, what are they trying to scare us into doing again? And then I said, oh, we're coming back to the masks. And it's all happening in the context of cases starting to rise as expected. They're not rising considerably, not by any stretch of the imagination, but we do have an election coming up and it does kind of feel like they're setting the groundwork. They're getting it all ready for us to have to go into some sort of mitigation policy. The good news is, of course, as has been the case since the original variant or the original strain, it's becoming weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And this one is incredibly weak. It causes exceptionally mild symptoms for the vast majority of the people. And yet, it kind of feels like they're setting us up again. But the problem with the advice that they're giving, it's old and not really true. And I thought we would go through some of it. Because in this post, they say that the intent is to get us all to protect yourself and others. So they want us to protect ourselves and others. And they give us three ways to do it. Number one, it says, wash your hands for at least 20 seconds especially before meals. Number two says, consider wearing a mask in crowded indoor spaces, even if you aren't feeling sick. And then number three, it says, if you haven't gotten your updated vaccine, now is the time. And while I certainly think you should wash your hands, you filthy animals, let's be clear about this. (laughs) It doesn't stop the spread of COVID. This is a respiratory virus that very rarely spreads on surfaces because it's what? Say it's airborne. Airborne. It's airborne. Contrary to the political mandates, wearing a mask actually does very little, if anything, to stop the spread of COVID to the people around you. It doesn't have an impact. And we've got plenty of studies For both of those points, early on, there was this belief that the reason why they were telling you to wash your hands and you had to wash your hands for 30 full seconds and don't forget to go in between your fingers, 
don't forget to go up to your your lower arm and your wrist. Those were all the rules. Here's here's a photo to give you an example of how to wash your hands. I saw those all over the place. But it became clear very quickly that it wasn't spreading on services. And part of the reason why folks falsely believe that, and I think early on in good faith, was because of some of the early data suggested that it was something that was of concern. But then they realized, oh, wait a minute, we're not doing this in the real world. We're doing it a setting in which we basically made it so that the way that we're studying it ensures us that it tells us they, it lives on surfaces. It turns out there's not a ton of COVID virus on every single surface, only just because we put it there for the, the, the study. So this has been rejected. This is not controversial in the least. Like Google it. Everyone basically says this. And they always frame it around, well, technically, could you get you sure? But it's not that big of an issue. You should still wash your hands because you're all gross and there's your fingers are filled with fecal matter and urine and whatnot because you don't actually wash well. And that's a fair point because you can obviously spread disease by not washing your hands. But then going into the mask stuff, it, it is just rather remarkable because you keep getting study after study after study basically saying the same thing, that the masks are ineffective and the mask mandates are especially ineffective. Now, looking at a review in the Cochrane Review, a review in the Cochrane Review, okay, this is considered the gold standard. It's based out of the UK. Tom Jefferson is the lead author. He's from the University of Oxford. And he did an interview in which he said, there's still no evidence that masks are effective during a pandemic. He even said the same is true of the N95 masks. He was very, very, very clear. And even Dr. Fauci, while doing a really poor job trying to continue to do some PR work on his efforts over the course of the last several years, even he said, quote, data are less strong. He was talking about masks helping in an epidemic or a pandemic. Now, according to a June 2023 updated study, it was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. I am a big supporter. I subscribe to that and everything. I get it on my Kindle. They said mask wearing in community and healthcare settings where you are around people who are likely to have COVID showed only, quote, a small reduction in risk, end quote, of catching COVID. And when you look at findings presented to the European Congress of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, an event I never miss. And if I can't be there in person to watch the findings be presented, I'm streaming it online. They said that mask mandates, quote, in a large London hospital during the first 10 months of Omicron activity, December 2021 to September 2022, made no discernible difference to reducing hospital-acquired SARS-CoV-2 infections. The analysis found that during a general community surge in SARS-CoV-2 infection in June 2022, removal of the mask policy was not associated with a statistically significant change in the rate of hospital-acquired infection in the study group with infection no higher than the rate when masks were obligatory. So they're saying it makes no difference. You're going to get it or you're not. And the truth is, every single person who's listening to me right now 
We will all get it multiple times. When? I don't know. Knock on wood, I still haven't gotten COVID or at least knowingly had it. It's possible that I had it and I just didn't realize it. In fact, I'm assuming that's the case. And I probably had a very early case of COVID and I just didn't realize it was COVID. And then I infected other people. And guess what? None of them died. Seems like you probably had it. I'm, I'm guessing I had it. Now, what really caught my attention here was not the mask stuff and not the specific hand washing, mostly because we're still getting some media outlets which are telling you to wear a mask, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. That didn't catch my attention. What did catch my attention was the part about getting the vaccine now. Get updated on your vaccines right this moment. And the reason why it caught my attention was because another story caught my attention a couple weeks ago. It was in the New York Times. It was about this very specific topic. And I believe the title of the piece was, here's why you should not get the vaccine that's currently available. Something along those lines. Because it turns out, and it's actually a really simple reason, the updated vaccine that hasn't yet come out, the one that isn't expected to come out for at least a couple weeks, if not a month, that's the one that most closely matches the current variant or what they think will be the most current variant or an offshoot that's close enough to the current variant. It's very similar into why flu vaccines, you get them at a certain time. They basically are guessing as to what the main flu virus will be predominant in this country. That's the one they protect you against. They're guessing, but it's an educated guess. And that's more along the lines of the way I think about any vaccine. So if COVID were able to actually get to the point, this vaccine, where you actually don't catch COVID, okay, then at that point, I'll probably take it. We're not at that point yet. At least the data hasn't been presented. And very clearly, this article says, and here I've got the link up over at KTTH.com. Don't get your next COVID booster quite yet. That's what it said. And this was published just a few weeks ago. This is like in either early or maybe mid-August. And you go through it, it makes total sense. They tell you to wait. On top of it, by the way, they tell you to obviously wait if you've gotten COVID recently. So let's say you just got over COVID. Well, Washington Department of Health is telling you to get the COVID vaccine. Uh, No, that's not what any doctor suggests. If you just had COVID... You don't need to get the vaccine unless for some reason with you specifically, your doctor is telling you this is 100 percent necessary. And ultimately, I tell you to do what your doctor says or at least do what you want to do in consultation with your doctor. But the advice that's being presented by the Washington Department of Health is flying in the face of what experts are actually saying. And if they think that maybe this advice that they're providing is the most updated of updated advice. okay, great. Tell us why. Tell us that. But it doesn't. What it appears to be doing here at Washington Department of Health, at least on their X account, is to post old social media graphics. Almost like, hey, we paid for it. We might as well use it more. That's what it felt like. And that's where the red flags start to go up in my head. Because it looks like we're headed for another round of this hysteria. And, of course, we have the first lady announcing that she's got covid And now Biden is wearing a mask, except when he's not wearing the mask, but he tells us he's wearing a mask indoors, but he's not really wearing a mask indoors. We're starting to hear the hysteria coming back. We're starting to see a media getting back to where it was, which was framing 
all of these issues as a means to shame what it believes to be conservatives who don't want to follow certain rules like wearing a mask or getting the vaccine. And the fact of the matter is, and I've said this before, it became incredibly clear early on in the pandemic that COVID-19 doesn't spread on services, that the mask mandates weren't going to work. It was obvious that kids weren't impacted in any meaningful way by COVID unless they were already very, very, very sick. We knew that you couldn't catch COVID outdoors. We knew all of that relatively early on. And yet public health officials were reticent to admit that what they told us early on was wrong, fearing in part it would lead to a breakdown in trust from a population that I think most people were, at least at the beginning when it wasn't seen as some sort of symbol. We didn't want to participate in any of this. There wasn't anyone out there who was jumping for joy. Yay, masks. No one wanted to do it. And I think that there was some fear that if they were honest and just said, hey, we got this wrong, people would stop listening to them. This is rather ironic. Pretending the data backed their assumptions and guidance when it very clearly didn't, and then refusing to acknowledge that or even apologize, that was all that was needed to get us to be distrustful of public health officials. I don't think that that's a safe place to live. I don't want to distrust public health officials because at some point we're going to need them. But they continue to act out politically. They continue to use all of the COVID rules to shame what they thought were MAGA Republicans who didn't want to wear a mask because they don't care. They're selfish. They don't care about people. Even though the mask didn't do anything, the mask mandates didn't. And so now we're at that point. We, we played the audio last week. Mehdi Hassan over at MSNBC. Again, starting to lay the groundwork for what's to come, claiming it was a myth that kids were harmed either from an academic standpoint or a mental health standpoint from closing down schools, which he's just lying. He's not wrong. He's just flat out lying. And so I am legitimately concerned now that we're going to go back to that to that world in which they're trying to push this on us. And I'm not going to pretend to not be very keenly aware of an election coming up. Because the last time we had an election during COVID, Democrats took advantage. They implemented new ways to vote without going through state legislatures. They were using all of COVID that they could to gain an advantage in the election. And we know that Democrats are terrified that they're going to start losing more races. They're terrified. And might they want to bring back some of these COVID policies? Maybe. And so I thought I would put up my own advice, not in a silly, what do we call these thing? Infographic tainment thingy-majiggies? I think that was the official term for the social yeah, media post. Yeah, I think we confirmed that. I'm not going to do that. I'll just tell you. In fact, I posted it at KTTH.com. I don't care if you wear a mask. I don't care if you get a vaccine. I don't care if you wash your hands until you can see bones. I don't care. Do what you think is right. Do it in consultation with your doctor. Here's my advice. Shut up about it. For everybody else, keep your issues to yourself. It is none of your business what anybody else does. If you truly believe that a mask protects you from COVID, great, wear a mask. What do you care if I'm wearing one, if it protects you? If you believe getting the vaccine protects you from getting COVID, okay, so what do you care if I don't get the vaccine?
The only thing I would ask is maybe reconsider what it is you're doing to your kids during all of this. As you pretend that COVID is going to kill you and your children when it clearly is not, unless you're already deeply, deeply, deeply sick. And by the way, maybe just take a look at the data because I did over the weekend. The most recent COVID hospitalization rate here in Washington state was only at 3%. The patients in hospitals right now, only 3% have COVID. When you look at the ICU, it's only 2% of those who are in ICU are there with COVID. Not because of, but with. That's what the data says. Is that alarming to you? It shouldn't be. Because remember, the people who are most likely to go to a hospital or the ICU are either very, very, very elderly or already very, very ill. And usually being very, very elderly comes along with some health issues. The death rate is almost at zero. It's at 0.03%. That's kind of close to zero, yeah? Fairly close. Yeah, really close. No one is denying COVID as much as the media can't wait to bring back the COVID deniers. They love saying that. No one's denying COVID by saying they don't want to wear masks or get the vaccine again or get their 14th vaccine. I just think that we're on the side that has a healthier response to what amounts to a mild virus that will ultimately infect all of us. That's it. And let's be clear that if the media, pre-COVID or now post-COVID, if the media covered flu hospitalizations and flu deaths, the way they covered COVID, we would all be deathly afraid of the flu. I have a reason to be deathly afraid of the flu. It took my father's life. My dad died from complications with the flu. He was unhealthy because of heart disease going into it, but the flu took my father's life. I'm not afraid of the flu because I'm able to compartmentalize the risk the impact it would have if I did treat the flu like it was going to kill me. And maybe it does kill me. Maybe COVID kills me, right? I, it, it could kill anyone. Fingers crossed. Max finger crossed his fingers. He wants me to die. Doesn't realize he'd get fired the second that happens because no one will work with him. Everyone says, I don't want anything to do with him. It could kill me. It could kill you. It could kill anyone. That's life, right? I mean, it, it's the same as I can walk across the street and get hit by a bus. That can happen too. I'm not going to pretend that getting COVID puts me at an increased risk of death to the point where I'm alarmed. The same way I'm not going to treat walking across the street as putting me at an increased risk of getting hit by a bus to the point where I'm uncomfortable crossing the street. Can I get hit by a bus crossing the street? Yes. Every single time I cross a street, I could potentially get hit by a bus or a car, but chances are I won't. It might come close. I might look at the bus and say, really, you're five minutes early, the first time ever, and I'm only two seconds away. You're not even going to stop, are you? And then give them that look of, of I'm, I'm coming for you as they drive by. That could happen, but that's about it. Let's all relax just a little bit, just a little tiny bit. Now, of course, it became a bigger story today. More people were talking about it, at least on the news, because of Jill Biden. Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary without a mask on, she had a statement. President Biden tested negative last night for COVID-19 and tested negative again today. He's not experiencing any symptoms. 
As far as the steps he is taking, since the president was with the first lady yesterday, he will be masking while indoors and around people in alignment with CDC guidance. And he, as, as has been the practice in the past, the president will remove his mask when sufficiently distanced from others indoors and while outside as well. Can I ask a question that's going to be a little bit mean? Yeah. But if we're all going to be honest, we, we agree on this show, whether you're listening or whether you're hosting, that we're just going to be honest and, and maybe even vulnerable in our conversations. Yeah, it's good. That's how you really learn and grow. When a couple, one of which gets COVID, the other one doesn't, do you judge the marriage a little bit? <laughs> do you have just a little, do you just have some questions, just a little tiny bit of the back of your mind well, wondering I mean, how is it possible that a wife or a husband gets it or a boyfriend or a girlfriend gets it, but then the significant other with whom you sleep with does not get it? Because I immediately think, hey, you know, when he was, I think, 40, I Love Lucy was just coming out and they were still sleeping on separate beds. Maybe that's what they do now where they have an agreement. He's got he's got I mean, sleep like, apnea. She probably doesn't even want to sleep in the same room as he well, is. Because yeah, like every 80. time he's sleeping, it's just all of a sudden, <laughs> like in the middle of the night, and she's getting woken up. What was that noise? <laughs> While sleeping, though. It starts off as a snore. Uh, no, but seriously, am I the only one who saw that? Uh, that? That wasn't where my mind went immediately, but I understand why yours went there. That's the first place my mind went to. But now that I've established it as a question that's out there, right? Well, does, Doug, does Doug have COVID? Well, this, why would Doug have? Oh, <gasps> you know why? I haven't heard from him in a while. Maybe they're keeping that on the DL. I mean, Joe has to eventually get COVID, right? If she has it, the only thing that's in her favor, depending on where it is, she got it, obviously, was he travels. And maybe, it, yeah, I mean, that like, seems realistic, right? But I've certainly known like people who, but I've known people who are with a significant other and only one of them got COVID. And it's certainly possible to just not catch COVID, even though you're sleeping next to the person that night. Right. I mean, it's different immune systems yeah. react different. Sure. Or whatnot or something of the matter. You know, I'm just saying I have questions and I like to ask them directly of Joe. And really, actually, I want to ask it of doctor, but she's a doctor. If you didn't know, Dr. Biden, by the way, doctor, how'd you allow yourself to get sick? Oh, Sleeping on the job. Our friend and local tax expert, Greg Nunn of Nunn Better Tax Resolution. He is growing and he is looking to hire some tax specialists. If you are passionate about fighting for taxpayers and you're interested in a new job, give Greg Nunn a call. 425-947-1967 or Google N-U-N-N Nunn Better Tax Resolution. Welcome back to the Jason Rance Show on AM 770 KTTH on this Tuesday after a long weekend, a Labor Day weekend. The weather is starting to quickly change. And over the Labor Day weekend, there was another event with We Heart Seattle, a cleanup in Soto, reminding everyone these folks are especially vulnerable headed into the winter months. Joining me on the line is Andrew Suarez of We Heart Seattle. Thank you so much for coming back. Hello, glad to be back. How, you, how did this sweep or cleanup go over the weekend? 
Well, it went really well. Um, we had about 15 volunteers turn out plus our paid staff, and we had done days in advance of outreach with the RV dwellers, letting them know we were going to be there and that they were more than welcome to participate with us in our you know, basic needs stipend program, which is a $25 gift card for gas. So we brought um, Shell gift cards in this mm-hmm. case. Um, We've also, uh, you know, a really great bunch. Honestly, overall, I've seen the worst of the worst, and these guys were all very motivated. They were happy to have the support. I always say to the opposition who says, why do we have to clean up after other people? I don't know about you, but I absolutely love it when somebody comes over and helps me organize my house or my (laughs) Tupperware drawer, um, clean my car, whatever. We all need a helping hand, and that's what we're about. So to those people, it's like we can't do this alone. We need a village to help others, especially giving them a hand up, not a handout, which is what our program's all about. And it's um, proven to be very effective in doing that. We also got a by name list of everybody living there on 6th Ave and Snoqualmie, um, ordering IDs for certain people. One woman asked us to get her into detox. Another woman asked us to get her van started so she could get back um, to home, which was not from here. So all of these things um, happen when we pick up the trash. Yeah. How motivated are they They when, when they tell you that? Because I've certainly spoken to some who seem very motivated. Others seem to tell me that they're motivated, but there's always just the sense that they don't really plan on following through. It's, um, we had a, we had a full engagement. All I mean, like I said, this Good. one was a really positive turnout. They were still sweeping and shoveling and raking. Even when we pulled away an hour and a half later, I kind of chuckled. I'm like, you know, they may be on drugs, but they're certainly into cleaning. So that actually was a really positive turnout. One group of RVs that we had found out a woman was actually in jail and her camp had been abandoned and really taken over and pilfered through. Um, And this is kind of that crime on crime of people who are living um, in such despair. So we kind of witnessed that. Um, There were flammables everywhere. We always love to use the Find It, Fix It app and remind citizens that, you know, that is a great app. It's data-driven, and it is um, prioritizing where um, resources are sent in the city. So don't hesitate to use your Find It, Fix It app. Don't hesitate to call WeHeart um, for your hotspots in your community. We love to respond to those. Now, you just brought it up, but, I mean, folks, regardless of the time of year who are living outside, the homeless are vulnerable. They're they're vulnerable for all sorts of reasons. But when we get into these winter months, as we get closer and closer, what are some of the unique vulnerabilities that they face? Well, inclement weather, you know, sub-zero temperatures, which we've been seeing that more and more, Um in general, you know, I think that the outreach programs need to stop treating people like hospice patients and just giving them enough to barely get by every day and really intervene with um, resources to help them reach self-sufficiency. I'm really not into the Band-Aid and talking about how vulnerable people are. We want to start intervening, offering detox, offering pathways to employment. The fastest way to housing is to get clean and get a job, and that's our approach and meeting people where they're at is just barely keeping them alive. And to that, you know, we really just want to encourage well-intended do-gooders out Mm -hmm. there to, you know, think about that when they want to try and help the homeless or our vulnerable population is to offer an intervention forward solution that gets them back on their feet rather than, you know, like they're in some sort of palliative care. We have to do better than that. All of our outreach agencies can do a lot better uh, in, in that approach, I think. Do you get the sense that the city of Seattle has changed at all in its approach to homelessness in a way that 
matters in, in a way that will deliver results. I, I keep seeing and hearing about plans and implementation that takes a few steps forward, but then takes a few steps back. Yeah, I would say that the narrative kind of coming out of King County Regional Housing Authority, I'm hearing a lot more buzz around recovery-oriented housing. Uh, Councilmember Sarah Nelson's really driving that mm-hmm. at City Hall, saying we need to fund clean and sober um, housing, which goes in direct conflict with Housing First, which is all low barrier. Yep. Of course, we know all the unintended consequences of that is nobody wants to work that job. People don't want to accept that type of housing and shelter because it's a chaotic ecosystem of you know, dog eat dog in terms of addicts, codependency. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it in Belltown. I now call Helltown murder after murder after murder in this, what I'm calling our no rules playground. Um, and the only way around it, folks, is to get out and vote. And uh, for your audience, We Heart Seattle, um, you heard it here first, is going to be putting together a series of um, voter registration and voter education events between now and Election Day. Uh, As part of our movement and our volunteer base of, you know, 1,000 registered volunteers and 10,000 followers across our social media platforms, we really believe that this is required um, to get new voters and educate voters so they have confidence going to the ballot this year that they're informed. And so we're using our platform and our movement to partner with other agencies to do this uh, here in the next four to six weeks. And we're very excited about that. Does that include registering homeless to vote and making sure that they vote? If we're going to put a pop-up in our four facilities, we're going to go into, into different communities where voter turnout is low, like South Lake union, mm-hmm. um, very focused on district um, five, six, seven. Um, and if homeless people want to approach us and get their ID ordered and learn about ways to, um, you know, change policy that helps them. Yeah, the well, homeless are the most. exactly. That, that, that's my point is that and, and we've heard rumors and, and there's some evidence that this is true, that mm-hmm. some candidates on the far left have done outreach with the homeless in what I think is an exploitative way to get them to vote. And usually it's against their own interests and they don't realize that in, in this case, especially if they're going through you. The, the intent is clearly uh, positive. It is clearly to change their situation. And I wonder how many people would actually seek to to go down that path if they're currently homeless. Because, as you know, not everyone who's homeless even you know has lost an ID. They can still register. They don't even have to have an address. They can register a park if they wanted to. Well, we're going to set up registration um, booths with printers and – good food and music and good times with a cheat sheet on what the different um, council members are for or against and uh, turn it into, you know, voting school, you know, and uh, the homeless are sick and tired of advocates putting words in their mouth. To be Mm -hmm. honest, we go out in the field and they're like, we are sick and tired of being kept a junkie for life. Again, we're treating people like hospice patients in the city of Seattle and they're wanting a pathway out, give them a pathway out, give them funding for clean and sober living once they're out of detox. They've been through detox a million times and they're right back out on the street. Exactly. There's that gap. Sarah Nelson's definitely amplifying that. That's what we're doing. And the homeless are behind it as well. They want a path out. They want to land on their own two feet. And it'll be interesting to see uh, the outcome of that result. We're really, really excited about using our platform after three years. Every piece of garbage I've picked up, is to be right here right now in the city of Seattle and to 
increase voter turnout. So I, I know likely who you support, but is is We Heart Seattle going to officially endorse and, and really pursue certain candidacies? We cannot, as a 501c3, indirectly or directly endorse a candidate, but we can speak to candidates who are for helping our police department yeah. um, be restored, help a contract get signed, help politically support um, public order, help uh, um, arrest people who are using open-air mm-hmm. use of fentanyl and possession. So those are some two very hot spot items that are driving the chaos that we're seeing on our streets. And so if somebody were to ask me about that, I would say you should read this information and determine which council member is for the police. I recently listened to a, um, a candidate at my Rotary Club, and I asked her if she supported the police and, you know, the unintended consequences of leaving people where they're at. Now sex trade is way up and people are having to turn tricks at a very, um, for hardly anything uh, to get a, a dope to get their, to not get sick. And her response was, well, I mean, there's sex workers and then there's sex trafficking and, you know, that's debatable. And I'm like, lady, I'm talking about the fact that straight, white, young males are being preyed on by perverts because they know they will do anything to not get dope sick. These are the unintended consequences by lack of policing, lack of arresting for use of fentanyl and also not they know require and the and the and people are not getting arrested for their warrants so they're like i can't get the help i need because i'm languishing out here on the streets because that's the ecosystem and the policy that current city council has created we've created demonic people out there zombies through failed policy yeah it's time for a change it's, it's ludicrous uh just to read between the lines the only folks on the council currently uh the only one who's actually not leaving at the end of this term uh, or is not impacted by this particular uh, election is Sarah Nelson. She's been a key uh, piece of why there's at least been conversations around reasonable policy as it relates to policing, drug use, uh, homelessness, everyone else on that council um, with maybe the exception of Alex Peterson has been uh, a true disappointment. And in some cases, like all three of the council members who are up for reelection, they have been dangerous to the city. Uh, we've been talking. I don't know how they sleep at night. Yeah, I don't I, know how they sleep at night. This is blood on their watch. Yeah, they, they don't see it that way, weirdly enough. Uh, they, they should because that's what the data suggests. WeHeartSeattle.org. Go there now. See how you can help out, how you can volunteer, how you can donate. We've been talking with Andrea Suarez, the founder. Thank you so much for stopping by. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Bidenomics is still being pursued by the White House as a talking point to get the president reelected. And it, it is it is rather amusing at this point that they still believe or at least are pretending to believe that Bidenomics is a winning issue if you were looking at this from the White House's perspective. You would maybe think if you were dealing with competent people that they're truly proud of their accomplishments economically. They don't see the criticism as valid. However, they have access 
to all the polling information that we have access to. They certainly know that people are not crediting Joe Biden's administration with anything concerning any maybe even personal good news that they're experiencing from an economic standpoint. There's a way to talk about the economy and praise the things you do without attaching your name to it. I don't know why anyone would willingly attach their name to something that no one likes. There's not a single person out there who is honestly celebrating the economy. No one. Because they understand that people are struggling, that they are struggling. That when they go to the grocery store or they pick up medication for someone or they take their dog to the vet, everything is more expensive. Now, is it as expensive as it was a few months ago? No. Is it as inexpensive as it was under Donald Trump? No, not even a little bit. And yet they're still all about Bidenomics. Here's Jared Bernstein. He's a White House economic advisor to uh, on CNN. So I think it's an inaccurate, a, a not, a, an inaccurate yeah. narrative to declare that somehow Bidenomics isn't working or that it's not uh, uh, favorably received by people when you drill down into what it actually is. Oh, okay. I take back. You know what I just said? You know what I just said? The uh, 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 no, no, no. Part. The, the whole before that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Erase that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I was wrong because the guy working for the guy who thinks Bidenomics is a good brand tells me I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I always love the idea that you've got a poll that says the same thing as the last poll and the poll before that and the poll before that and the poll before that. And it's all negative. I love it when they come out and say, well, actually, the polls are wrong because they're not asking the right question. I think the polls that you're reflecting are oftentimes very much 30 or 40,000 feet up. I'm not no. discounting them, by the way. No, I know they're real. Like but I want to tell you a little bit about some poll results that ask about the specific oh. components of Bidenomics, okay? 82% support capping insulin costs for seniors at $35 a month. 81% support giving Medicare the power to negotiate for lower prescription drugs, which, by oh, the way, yeah. is wow. now very much in the system, and it's uh -huh. helping to reduce the deficit. Except the other point not. you just raised, it cuts the deficit by $100 billion over 10 years. 79% support providing tax incentive to create more manufacturing mm -hmm. jobs. Mm -hmm. 800,000 manufacturing jobs since this president has got here, mm -hmm. and some really great investment indicators with investment mm -hmm. coming off the sidelines. 77% yeah. support capping out-of-pocket costs on prescription drugs. Okay, cool. Uh, much of what he just said isn't even in what was not a Biden plan. This is not new. Today was not the first time we heard about any of what he just Bringing manufacturing jobs back to the United States? Whoa. I mean, I could have sworn that Trump that as well, but you okay. Never mind. We'll push that aside. Speaking of a very specific poll question, because he likes the specific poll questions. Seventy-three percent when asked if he's too old to run for president again, they said yes, he's too old. So I mean, just throwing that out there because he likes those specific poll questions. He's not going to do anything with that, of course. He happens to ignore the news that we discussed last week. Inflation just went up again. It just ticked up. It had been going down from the record high levels, record highs, thanks to Democrat spending. I don't know if people realize this, and maybe this is breaking news for them. But when you already have an economy that is 
picking back up and is starting to get strong again post-COVID, and then you flood the economy with extra dollars in the form of the aid that they were passing out when it wasn't actually necessary, you bring the value out of whack, and then inflation goes up, and it just went up again. We're nowhere near where it was under Trump, which was zero. And yet, we're supposed to pretend that inflation is fine, not a big issue. And yet, the reality is, not only is Bidenomics failing, but Bidenomics is seen as a failure. And Ro Khanna, the congressman from California, very, very progressive, he was on CNN, and even he acknowledges that. He tries to spin it a little bit, but even he acknowledges it. Look, prices are still too high. Gas prices are high. Food prices are high. People have had a tough time. So we have to recognize that there's a lot more work to do. President Biden is trying to reverse the decline of the working class for the last 40 years. He's making progress, but there's more work to be done. Does anyone feel like they were in decline under Trump? Seriously, I I legitimately am asking that question. I don't live in the world that those workers live in. I have a real job. No, I'm kidding. I have an easier job compared to what they're doing. If you were in that world then versus now, when do you think you were more successful? Because everyone who's being honest with maybe certain, you know, individual incidents that change the sort of the outlook for them. But in general, the workers that he's talking about, they were thriving under Trump. They could always do better. Everyone always wants to do better. But when you compare the Trump era to the Biden era, who was doing better? It it was the workers under the Trump administration. That's just the the stats. That's what the data says. But please tell me about how Bidenomics is so strong and it's helping us all. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show.